We've got a whole lot to do today in a short period of time, so you're going to have to listen quickly, and I've got to move on. So, I do want to mention a couple of things to you, and I, and, uh, I was really going to kind of save a lot of this for the end, but we've got some special stuff we want to do today at the end of the service, and wow, that's impressive. Married Friday and here today. That's very impressive. There is a God. All right. So I want to share a couple of things with you, and, and then we've got a special way we're going to close out the service. Today. Uh, we're going to share the Lord's Supper together and then do something else at the end. So I want to share a couple of things with you now. So you need to take notes. And again, maybe not. But we'll see. Anyway, I'm not gonna, uh, a lot of things I may forget to mention, so I'm going to try to hit them now, and then as we'll see how the Holy Spirit does as we head toward the end of the service. When you leave today, uh, we did this a couple of weeks ago, we'll do it once or twice a month. Uh, as you leave at the, at the main exit, the only real exit, uh, unless there's an emergency, but as you go out the main exit, you'll see a big cooler there, and it's got already prepared meals in it like we did before. You just take one, two, in Dick Hunter's case, I think he took ten and handed them out to people on the side of the road, which is literally what we want you to do. Just take those meals, and if you see somebody that's uh, asking for something, stop in the name of the Lord and just, just give them a, a meal and just say, love you, and I pray for you, or whatever you're comfortable doing. Just, uh, they're there, they're at, at the door. It's part of our uh, ministry, so they're there for you to take when you leave today. Uh, again, a lot of stuff going on. Small group ministry starting up, and a lot of things going on. I know uh, Steve's group's meeting on Sunday nights here. So again, if you're interested in getting into a small group other than what's going on on Sunday morning, we've got those. We've got Steve's tonight. We've got one on Wednesday night that's going to be starting up, our whole Wednesday night program. I'm not going to go into detail about that today just to save time. But if you're interested, Steve will be, literally he'll be down here at the end of the service. Uh, be around. You can put it on your Connect card and I'll put you in touch. Uh, so anyway, small group ministry has started back for the fall. Uh, make sure that I don't leave anything out. Uh, one particular need that we really have that I want you to pray about, Rhiannon is always using or needing help in the children's ministry across the hall over here, but particularly in the first hour at 9.30 in the nursery, we need some bodies. You don't have to be like uh, Chuck and Janet and commit to every Sunday for the rest of your life like they had done at one point, but if you could help out just once every six to eight weeks at 9.30 uh, Again, we have a real need there. So you, you can put it on your Connect card. You can see me. You can see Rhiannon. And I'll pass, if you see me, I'll pass it on to her, a Connect card, the 930. Over there. I'll fill my pocket up. Uh, save that for next week. Save that for next week. Okay. The real thing that I want to share, I want to get it over with. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Uh, how many of you have no idea what happened at the Bartlett campus this week? You have no idea. Would you raise your hand? Okay. I knew it would be the minority. All right. Let me explain to you, and I'm not going to go into great detail. We're going to have a meeting tomorrow night at 6.15 at our Bartlett campus with the police department and uh, Chris Ellison and myself and Lisa Locke, our director of uh, uh, Sunshine Daycare, After School Care, particularly for our parents of the Bartlett uh, campus, the uh, Sunshine parents and the after school parents, we're going to meet with them tomorrow night with the police and hopefully put this thing, social media can just be uh, a wonderful thing, 
but it can also be uh, a terrible thing. So, in this case, it has been the latter. Monday, we had a horrible incident at the Bartlett campus. A guy showed up at 6 o'clock in the morning, happened to run out of gas on our parking lot, and Lisa helped him nice and put gas in his truck for him. And uh, police came, and fortunately, we got his ID and his tag, and we knew who he was by the end of the day. Well, he came back that night and left a very threatening letter on the door of the church uh, toward us hypocrites and people who uh, at that church. And he not only went to our church, he went to New Hope Christian Church down the street and left the same type. No, but we happened to interact with him until he left that very threatening letter. Um, literally, we, we just shut down the next day in case he came back. He did not. He left here and went to Oklahoma, uh, has been arrested in Oklahoma, is in custody in Oklahoma. Uh, he has very much, is mentally unstable, had some issues at Nashville where he is from, at his own church, his own family, uh, has a restraining order against him, just a poor guy that has just slipped off the rails. And it has been dealt with, it is over with, it is no longer a credible threat to our campus in any way. Those are my exact words to our, we met with all our employees Monday night, those are my exact words to them, and yet it will not go away. Uh, we've already had one employee quit. Uh, her husband said it's not a safe place to be, you just can't work there. Uh, our parents, by and large, have understand, have been fine, and even had some that wanted to know why we shut down one day. And they, they couldn't understand, most of them couldn't understand that. But we did what we had to do. Chris is magnificent, and you probably saw him on television. I told him to do the television interviews because I have a face for radio. <laughs> I, said, you, I said, you have a face for television, you do that. So we literally had media calling from all over the country, uh, FBI, because what happened was the incident in Indianapolis got tied in with the one in Bartlett, but totally unrelated. But the guy in Indianapolis said he was coming to Memphis to, to shoot up a church and slit the pastor's throat. And so I immediately resigned. <laughs> and Steve Nance is now pastor. <laughs> but our security guys, Mike Butler, particularly here, Mike Butler and those guys uh, know what they're doing and they're on top of it. Our guys at Bartlett, same way. Um, so we handled it. We did everything that needed to be done. But Satan is good at, at persecution. Uh, we lost a significant amount of money just by shutting down that one day, and they managed to do that to us. But here's, the, and I love that Peter was leading us in worship today, and the team was, we're singing as well with my soul. As Christians, that's where we are. Um, as we've been going through the book of Acts, how often have we said, if you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. It comes with the territory, and it comes in all kinds of crazy ways. Um, that is not the first time that we've had threats. I've personally had people say, I'm coming to the church to kill Randy today uh, over the years, and I just hang out with Chris Ellison. Uh, it's a safe place to be. And, you know, you just, uh, it's the way it is. So that threat is over. Does that mean there won't be another one down the road sometime? Probably not. There, you see it on the media all the time. It's just we live in a difficult time, and if you stand up for Christ, then people don't like that. Uh, in this particular case, this guy was just unstable, and, and, but in what he read, it was very uh, what he wrote, and listening to him in conversation, to listen to him speak some, he's uh, just a difficult hurt for him and his family, but there is no threat to our church. So if someone tells you that there is, 
tell them to call me. I'm, no, don't do that. I got the meeting. <laughs> I'm, tell them to come to the meeting tomorrow night. We'll have the Barton Police Department tell them there is no threat to Christ Church, Bartlett, Sunshine Learning Center, Randy. Any, uh, there's no credible threat. But that doesn't mean there won't be one down the road. And so we handle it. We have uh, protocols. And like I told our employees, our, we have two primary protocols when it comes to you, number, uh, learn, the learning center. Those children will always be safe. And you will be safe, whatever we have to do. And so that's where it is. All right, if you got any other questions, see Steve Nance. All right, turn to the book of Acts. Well, let's pray before we get started. Let me get some of this out of my mind. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you are the God who is in control. That it is not that we're, we're really sharp and we always know what we're doing. We just, Lord, we trust you and then we do what's right. Uh, Christians just trust you, obey you. And Lord, as a result, sometimes you, it's difficult. It is not going to be easy. You never promised that, but you always promised you'd be in the middle of the fire with us. I just thank you for the opportunities you've given me just this week to share Christ with people just in answering questions, whether it was media or parents or employees or whoever it might be. Uh, you use that as an opportunity even to share the gospel. So thank you for that. We pray as a church we could just continue to do what's right. Stand up for truth, uh, speak it, model it, and be a beacon for people to come to be drawn to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so as we continue to look at the book of Acts today, we simply pray we could stop, kind of flush our minds of everything else, and focus in on the word and what you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, turn to Acts chapter 19 if you have not already. Last week we began to look at, a couple of weeks, we've been looking at the ministry as the book of Acts continues, particularly the Apostle Paul at Ephesus, missionary journey number three. So if you look on your handout, we looked at Apollos' ministry a couple of weeks ago. We began looking at Paul's ministry last week in chapter 19. And the key phrase that I want you to see in this is that he's doing everything in the name of Jesus. That's so vital to understand because a lot of people do ministry with the air quotes, they do ministry, but they're not doing it in Jesus' name. They're doing it in their own name. To be, look at me, follow me. Uh, I'm, I'm the one who can do these miracles. I'm the one who can deliver you. Can deliver you. <clears throat> when you see miracles in the book of Acts, we're going to see that in just a moment. It is never done in the name of Paul was not a faith healer. Paul was not a miracle worker. Anytime God chose to perform a miracle through one of the apostles, it was done in the name of Jesus Christ. Not in the name of Paul. Not in the name of Apollos. Not in the name of Peter. Not in, We're going to see some crazy stuff here. Uh, and unbelievable miracles here in just a moment. But it's done in the name of Jesus. Why is that so important? Because it's not about you can't schedule your miracle, despite what some people do. Benny Hinn, years ago, was coming to Memphis, and the way it was advertised is that they had to schedule your miracle. You can come and get your miracle. Well, the greatest miracle God ever performs is redeeming you, changing you from someone who's lost and an enemy of God separated to his child. And yes, that can happen at any moment in anyone's life. But if I've got horrible arthritis in my back, like I suffer with from time to time, and, uh, or my hands when my uh, fingers point to make a right turn instead of going straight. Uh, I can't demand that God heal that and he do it. I can ask. But I always ask what? 
Lord, if it's your will, Lord, in the name, if it's in Jesus' name, that's fine. But if Paul himself, Paul himself, again, all these incredible miracles we're about to see, and this is just a snapshot. Paul himself begged God three times to remove his physical affliction, his thorn in the flesh. And what did God say all three times? No. Well, how come Paul couldn't just demand it? In the name of Jesus, I want this gone. But it wasn't gone. Why? Because you don't tell God what to do. You ask. And then you submit. You trust. You obey. You have faith. And you know your faith is in him, not in your faith. It's not faith in faith. It's faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, our God. He chooses to do it. And I have to be all right with that. Paul hurt physically in some way. You would think if God wanted anybody healed, it would be Paul because he was doing such amazing, incredible things. He didn't need to have that physical affliction, whatever it was. But if you read the context of that passage, having the physical affliction that that Paul asked God to remove three times and God said no, drove Paul to say these words, when I am weak, then I am strong. The Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm going to get you through this. I'm going to be with it in you. It's not going to go away, but we're going to use it to enhance the gospel. So, back to the book of Acts. So we saw point two on your handout, the ministry of Paul, chapter 19, to get to Ephesus. Saw him baptizing in Jesus' name. Talked about that last week. We saw him preaching in Jesus' name. So let's go to chapter 19, verse 10. That's where we left off. 19, 10. Paul continued preaching for two years so that all who dwelt in, <clears throat> pardon me, dwelt in Asia, that's that province of Asia, not Asia as you and I would know it, the province there of Asia, all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. That's just an amazing statement in and of itself. That his preaching, they didn't have social media, they were blessed. They didn't have email, they didn't have television. They didn't have satellite communication. They simply had word of mouth. And God spread the preaching of the Apostle Paul all over. Not just to those who were right there, pardon me, but all over. Jews and Greeks, Gentiles. Remember, we talked about he's going to write about it over and over and over again. And it was the heartbeat, the reason Jesus saved you on the road to Damascus. He told him, you are the apostle to the Gentiles. I know you're you're a Jew, and I know you were a Pharisee. I'm redeeming you. Your mission is to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He loved the Jews. He even wrote in one place, I love my own people so much, if I could die for them so they would be saved, I would do that. That's amazing. God said, your job is to take the gospel to the Gentiles. You do your job. So he's doing it, and God is blessing it incredibly. So he's baptizing in Jesus' name. He's preaching in Jesus' name. Now we're going to see him, through him, miracles being performed in Jesus' name. Now, pattern-wise, history-wise, remember Acts is a book of history, context-wise to this book, God's pattern during the early church and even back 
historically many times, but particularly in the book of Acts, in the early church, to authenticate the apostles as his spokesmen, he would at times perform miracles through using them as the instrument through which he did that. Can he do that today if he wanted to? Absolutely. And he does heal, yes. But is it normative? Is it happening all the time like you, these guys claim you can any time that you have enough faith you could be healed? No. Paul didn't heal everybody. Jesus didn't heal everybody he encountered. He healed a lot of people. But he did not heal every single person he encountered. He didn't raise every single person from the dead. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, you think Lazarus was the only corpse in that cemetery? Of course not. It was full. He simply was, it was a moment of illustration that he was going to say, I am the resurrection and the life. He who lives and believes in me, though he may die, yet he will live. Hey, Lazarus, come here. It's his object lesson. Lazarus, come on up and give us a testimony. The dude comes walking out of a tomb. What do you think people were thinking when he comes walking out of the tomb? Uh, he must be the resurrection and the life. He who lives and believes in him will probably will live, even though we may die, yet he will live. He just said those words and then he, he has a dead man come walking up. That's pretty cool. But notice, he didn't bring everybody out of the tombs, did he? Just Lazarus. Were other people raised? Yeah. But they all died again. Lazarus died again. People in the book of Acts, they died again. Who didn't die again? Jesus. Because he's the resurrection and the life. He who lives and believes in him, though he may die physically, yet he shall live. And he lives and believes believes in him will never die spiritually. What a great truth. That's the gospel. It's what drives us. It's what drove Paul. That's why this is so exciting. Can somebody show up at your church and write a nasty, threatening letter on the door of your church? Yeah, they can do that. But guess what? Jesus is the resurrection and the life. It is well with my soul because my soul is in the hands of the eternal, omnipotent God of the universe who created and saved me. Now, let's look at the miracles. If you go back in the history of the Bible, we're not going to do all that today, but Moses... God performed miracles through Moses. Elijah and Elisha, God performed miracles through them. Jesus and the apostles, God performed miracles through them. Those are the three primary periods you see in the history of man and in the recorded for us in Scripture of miracles being performed. Each period of time lasted about 100 years, and total recorded miracles in all of them is about 100. So again, God just didn't do it all the time for everybody. He did it. At moments in time when he was making a statement about this is the time of Jesus, the time of the apostles, the time of Moses, the deliverer, the time of Elijah and Elisha, the prophets, Moses, the prophets, Jesus. Interesting, if you go through the New Testament, Jesus says, Moses and the prophets, Moses and the prophets, Moses and the prophets, and now it's my turn. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper here today. New covenant in whose blood? Not the blood of bulls and goats, whose blood? Jesus. Why? Because it's a new covenant in his blood. The other was a picture. He's the fulfillment. All right, back to this. So you see, again, the confirmation. Verse 11. Let's see what happens. Now, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. Even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Now, again, notice verse 11. You take this out of context, you get people, some of you are old, as old as me, and you probably remember a false teacher named Robert Tilton. 
Robert Tilton would do this kind of stuff all the time. And his show, you'd call in, and he would send you your miracle rag in the mail that if you laid it on wherever you were hurting, you would automatically be healed. And people sent him money. He was simply a con artist. He literally used this verse to make money. Do you want to be at Judgment Day when Robert Tilton steps up in front of Jesus? I'm glad I'm not going to be at that one. Unless he got saved somewhere along the way. And Robert Tilton wasn't the only one. There are tons of them. So don't make it something it's not. Verse 11, please note the context. What does it say? Paul worked unusual miracles. Is that what it says? What does it say? God worked unusual miracles. By the way, what's the definition of a miracle? It's only something God can do. Paul could not say who, who and when. God did that. God even chose to do it, yes, with handkerchiefs that, from Paul. But God is performing the miracles. And by the way, remember context. We talked about this last week. What type of city is Ephesus? It's full of occultism. It was full of magicians, sorcerers. It was a very, it was a place that was just owned by Satan, dominated by him. And what is God saying? No, greater is he who's within you than he who is within the world. I am God. One of the things that God wrote this in his letter this week in his conversations and listening to him, one of the things he kept saying is, I am the wrath of God. I am the one from Revelation. Stuff like that. Messiah complexes. Instability. And it scares people. You know what? It should. Because how many gods are there? And who ain't it? You. Or anybody else. So God is performing unusual miracles. Paul's not even present in God's doing some of this. Not magic. Not specially anointed prayer cloths. It's simply God authenticating what Paul has to say is from me. In the book of Hebrews, and I want you to turn there. In the book of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it. Many theologians think Paul did, but we don't know who wrote it. But in the book of Hebrews, the Bible says this. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God bearing witness both with signs, wonders, various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. To verify, to confirm this incredible salvation that Paul was talking about. One of the things God did was allow miracles to occur, to confirm it. Now, verse 13. Anytime God's doing great things and, and the Lord is moving, we saw the preaching was going everywhere. People were being saved. And the miracles people are being drawn to, they're leaving the occult. They're leaving, they were burning their magic books. We saw that. They're coming out of this demon being owned by Satan, being set free by this gospel, this salvation. Immediately, you see it all, it's all over the place now. We just, we, we've talked about it a little bit today. You see it all over, all over the place. When you have this confirmation from God, you're also going to have competition. You're going to have false teachers that want to get in on it. Verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you, exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. If it wasn't so terrible, this would be funny. Look at verse 14. There were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, who did so. So they're also doing it. 
These are these traveling Jewish itinerant, traveling Jewish exorcists were magicians who would take whatever they needed to take to come in, put all these systems, just throw everything in a hodgepodge and come up with whatever they needed to to impress the people, kind of like Elmer Gantry, false teachers, what we talked about, saying we could do all this. So they see that they see that Paul this say this is really cool. People are flocking to him and all he does is throw out this name of Jesus and, and, and incredible things happen. Well, notice verse 13 closely. This is so important. They took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Not by the Jesus they knew, right? They didn't know Jesus. What did they know? Money. Power, authority over people, scare them, own them, manipulate them. It's working for Paul. I heal you in Jesus' name. It's working for Paul. Let's give it a shot. Let's cast, there are a lot of demon-possessed people in Ephesus. Let's cast some demons out of people in the name of this Jesus. And so they say, the Jesus, you know, the one whom Paul talks about. Let's do it. Paul would later write, from Ephesus... To the church at Corinth, these words, there are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. No wonder Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. In other words, demons would use whatever. If they can use religion, if they can use false Christianity, they're going to. And by the way, they're still doing that today. Satan loves religion. He loves fake Christianity. What he doesn't want is people committed to Jesus Christ, surrendered to him, following him, serving him. He just wants people to be religious. This just going to get this Jesus stuff involved. Just be real religious. That's fine. Notice verse 14. These sons of Sceva, they're priests. Jewish priests. And again, they're trying to to emulate what Paul's doing. Make it part of their game. I love verse 15. Look at that. And the evil spirit, <laughs> this is where it is funny. The evil spirit, the demon said to them, Jesus I know and Paul I know. Who are you? Who are you? What's the only being on planet earth that Satan is terrified of. It's God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He knew Paul because Paul was doing stuff in Jesus' name. He didn't know these traveling exorcists because they weren't, even though they said it, they weren't doing it in Jesus' name. Read through the Gospels when Jesus encounters demons. What's their response? What do we have to do with you, O son of God? They knew who he was. They were terrified of him because he's the one that chunked them out of heaven with Satan. He's the one who had sealed their judgment for them already, eternity, separated from God. Jesus I know. Paul I know. Who are you? Who are you? I'm not going anywhere because you tell me to. Who are you? I know Jesus, this Greek here, 
is I know him with a deep, innate, instinctive knowledge. And then the, the word know for Paul is I know that so I'm acquainted with him. I've seen what he's doing. Jesus is God. They didn't fear this Jesus name. So then you see verse 17, what happens. Excuse me, 16. The man in whom this evil spirit was leaped on them, these traveling itinerant exorcists, leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them. They fled out of that house naked and wounded. You think they would have, who was victorious here? Not these Jewish exorcists, the demons were. Verse 16, the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them. Verse 17, this became known to all the Jews and the Greeks dwelling in Ephesus and fear fell on them all. Notice the end of verse 17. The name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Get the picture, don't miss the context. Paul was preaching in Jesus' name was baptizing in Jesus' name. God was working miracles through him in Jesus' name. These fake guys come along. They're trying to cast demons out in Jesus' name, and they are absolutely torn apart by the evil spirit that was in this man to the house to the point that they fled naked and wounded. And everybody is terrified, and the name of Jesus is magnified. They saw the contrast. What Paul has to share is real. What these guys have to share is fake. Which one do you want? I want the real. Think about that applicably for us today. When we share the gospel with someone, what are we sharing with them? Truth that will set them free. Everything else will keep them in bondage. But Jesus, who died for them and conquered death for them by rising from the dead, will set them free. That's why it has to be a burden for us as Christians to share the gospel with people. Love them. Yes, they're going to disagree. Love them anyway. Love them anyway. Because you don't know, you may be the only person that ever gets to share the gospel with them. You may be the only Christian they know. Don't give up. And don't be offended if they disagree. That's fine. We respect everybody. We respect what they believe. You listen and you dialogue and say, well, that's interesting. Let me tell you what I believe. Let me share with you why I believe in Jesus. Because immediately when they hear that, they're going to, oh, no, he's another one of those crazies. Well, tell them why. And don't give up. You know why the church was so effective in the first century? Because they believed Jesus rose from the dead and they were not going to be silenced talking about him. They were not. You want to kill us? Kill us. Somebody will take our place. Because Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Did, did Jesus take those words back? No. So it's not going to prevail. We have already won. Jesus rose from the dead. That's why we share victory from victory. Real miracles. Now verse 18. Look what happens. Many who had believed, these were new Christians, came confessing and telling their deeds. They'd come out of the occult. They'd come out of these evil practices. They'd come out of the magicians and the sorcerers. They came 
They're living these lives of superstition and bondage to evil. And the Greek tense here is they kept on confessing and kept on telling new young Christians who just didn't know. Verse 19, many of those who had practiced magic, they brought their books together and they burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them. It totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. Again, that's what they're coming out of. They're bringing their magic books, their occultic books. They put them all again. They burn them. The value of what they burned here, make it so we would understand it, was the amount that 150 men would earn in one year. That's a nice bonfire, isn't it? They'd been set free. This is what had them in bondage. They'd been set free by the preaching of the gospel. And so they were giving it up. Verse 20. Look how God conquers. The word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Despite all that Satan could throw. And Ephesus was owned by Satan as we said earlier. Despite all he could throw at him. The word of God prevailed. By the way, it always does. We may not see it in the moment. You may not see it in your lifetime. We've talked about Jeremiah before. How many years did Jeremiah preach? About 50. 50. You know how many positive responses Jeremiah had in 50 years? It's recorded for us. Zero. Zero. He wouldn't have made it through most churches, would he? Committees. He just wouldn't have got out of committee. Jesus, at the end of his life, if you looked at it, was a miserable failure. He's being crucified as a common criminal. And what thousands hanging around, he's our man. No, crucify him. Crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. Miserable failure. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. The word of God grew mightily and prevailed, and it always will. Maybe not the way we want, maybe not the way we hope, but it always will prevail. It grew mightily, always does. So, verse 21. When these things were accomplished, all this had happened, Paul purposed in the spirit, when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent to Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus. He himself stayed in Asia for a time. I want to wrap it up with this today. Some other stuff we want to do. You see three things on the heart of Paul here. Verse 21. These things were accomplished. Paul purposed in, his, in the spirit. When he had passed through Macedonia to go to Jerusalem. He cared about these people. In Macedonia and Greece. He wanted to disciple them. He wanted to go to the center of the Roman Empire. Rome itself, and preach the gospel. Verse 22, he sent to Macedonia two of those who ministered to him. He stayed in Asia. We talked about this a little bit before, and we'll see it more. He has a desire to take up an offering for the believers at Jerusalem. So he sends Timothy and Erastus to collect that offering to take to the Gentiles, I mean the Jews at Jerusalem, from the Gentiles. Please don't miss this. Paul, who is a Jew, has been set free, redeemed, 
God's calling on his life is to take the gospel to the Gentiles. We talked about it earlier. The Jews who are at Jerusalem, who are hurting, he wants to take an offering from the Gentiles, Gentiles, to the Jews to say to them, we're all in this together. We love you. It's not Jew versus Gentile. The church is Jew and Gentile. It's not slave and free. We're one. It's not male and female. We're one. We love you. We want to minister to you. That was really on Paul's heart. I want to take an offering from the Gentiles that I'm leading to the Lord, new believers, to the Christian Jews at Jerusalem to say to them, we're in this together. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Romans 15, the Bible says this, Paul writing, I now am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. It pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia, where he is right now at the Ephesus area, to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are at Jerusalem. I've made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. And here's the context. I want to go to Jerusalem and give them this offering. And then I'm going to Rome. I'm going to Rome. Because that's the center of the empire. And I want those Gentiles to hear the gospel. Now, he has a plan. I'm going to go to Rome. It's really interesting, this principle, and then we're going to share the Lord's Supper together. Here's the principle. Was going to Rome a good thing? Absolutely. Go to the center of the Roman Empire and preach the gospel. Let's do it. Had God told him to take the gospel to the Gentiles? Absolutely. Jesus Christ himself told him. Paul had one idea how he was just going to go to Rome. God said, no, we're going to go to Rome. But we're going to get there in a roundabout way, and it's going to be really hard. But we're going to get there, but not the way you think. Here's the point. Whose way is, both ways were good. Whose way was best? God's way. It's always best. And a lot of times it involves persecution. It involves difficulty. You just don't give up. You do what God wants you to do, God's way. Whatever happens, happens. You trust him. Not always going to be easy. At times it's going to be really difficult. You just don't give up. The rest of the book of Acts, we're going to, as we wrap up this transition into what God is doing, You're going to see a riot next week. We're going to see a riot breaks out over this. We're going to see difficulty in Paul getting away and doing other things as he heads toward Rome. The rest of the book of Acts is him getting to Rome and what God does as he's headed there. So here's my challenge to you as we close out our time together today and share the Lord's Supper. Just don't give up. Don't give up. You trust God. You love God, you obey God. As we're going to share in the Lord's Supper, we go out and we proclaim the Lord's death till he what? Returns. That's the church age. Till he comes back. We talk about the new covenant. When I'm dead and gone, my children, my grandchildren, you guys, just keep talking about Jesus. Why? Why? Because everything else is fake.
He's the truth. Would you bow your heads, please? So, Father, as we close out our time together today, we thank you that the truth sets people free, that Jesus is the truth. So as we share the Lord's Supper together, we simply pray we would remember his death, his, his blood, forgiveness of sins, his body that was broken, tortured for us so that we could be redeemed, we could be forgiven, we could be set free, and then we go tell people about it. We love them, talk to them, listen to them, and lovingly tell them about a God who will set them free. We thank you for the privilege of doing that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.